Acts chapter 13, if you would turn your Bibles there. We've been in Acts for some time. I've taken a couple weeks away from that. Uh, a couple of people said, get back into it. So we're back into it today. Um, I was kind of hoping to do that last week. And then all of a sudden, uh, we had a guest speaker from uh, Indiana, and that was really good. I, I preached on that message that he preached on numerous times over the years. And I never, I guess, had the same perspective that he did. And it was really good to be able to see that, you know, the rowing part of it. I never got into that before. We talk about the rowing and not getting anywhere. We've all felt that at times, right? Am I the only one? Yeah, I think we've all rode and felt like we haven't got anywhere. Acts 13, we're going to look at verses 42 to 49. Don't look at there. You don't look at it yet. But I just want to ask you, how do you respond to the gospel? It's kind of amazing, and I, I've been saying it for the last several months, that our attitude has to change about the church. This is not the church, right? The building, right? We know that, right? It's not the four walls. It's not this facility. This facility houses the church. And in our culture, we call it the church, but it's not that you're the church, right? It says the, the ecclesia, the called out ones, you guys are the church. Those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the church. And in our culture, I think culture has kind of dictated, once again, kind of the blurring of what the church is versus what the church does and how it operates and functions as a as an organized group and a body and so churches all across the america are known for things right you got churches that are known for their clothing closet and you got this church is known for their food pantry and this church is known they got i mean they're 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 nationally known for their worship team and this church over here is known because man they're they're like they're the MacArthur, the academic and you know they i mean it's like every message is like going to a seminary class and this church over here is churches are known for things right but I wonder what is it that God wants us to see about the church and what God wants the church to operate as, how it functions and how it, how it responds to the gospel. And sometimes I hate to say it, even in, quote unquote, my own church family, there are those of us who are afraid to pray publicly because what will somebody think if I don't pray right or if I pray funny or if I don't know what to say exactly? We forget that prayer is what? Talking to God. How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your kids? Well, maybe you don't want to talk to them that way. Um, but how do you talk to different people, right? It's a conversation with God. We have the opportunity and the freedom to talk to Him as we would in a relationship because we love Him and He loves us. We talk to Him about our day. God, I'm about to start my day and I haven't hit anyone yet. I haven't yelled at anyone yet, but I'm about to get out of bed. Lord, help me. You know, I mean, we talk to Him about the day, right? Um. We forget that God is our friend. And in the friendship, we have a relationship based off communication. And only when the communication is strong is the relationship strong. And if the communication isn't strong, don't tell me your relationship is strong because it ain't. I don't care what you say, it's not. You can't have a strong relationship without strong communication. Can't. So I'm just thinking all these things. That, yeah, this is a little bit off text, a little bit off script a little bit. But I'm just... There's so many things going through my mind. I want God to work in our church. I want God to bring us back to a place where we are learning what he has for us to learn. We're operating as he had have us to operate. But I know that as we've grown as a church, it's been amazing to see what God has done. But how do we respond to the gospel? You, 
You know, it's amazing how the preaching of the gospel or simply inviting someone to church or talking about church or what God has done for you can yield so many different responses, right? I remember 13 and a half years ago we came here, the first summer we were here, we said, man, we really want to see God work in our community. We want to see God do something, right? I mean, I mean, what's the sense of coming to church if we don't want to see God do something, right? So we're out in the neighborhoods and we're like, we're gonna just, we're just gonna go canvas the area. We're not, really, we're not gonna go quote unquote soul winning. We're just inviting people to church, right? That's all we're doing. We're simply saying, you know, hey, we're from Harvest. We'd love to invite you to church. Get off my yard. Whoa. <laughs> Next. Hey, we're from Harvest by. We'd love to get out of my driveway. I remember in like two hours that we went out, and I can tell you the exact roads that we were on, but I can remember the exact roads, and we came out, and people were like, get out of our yards, get off our driveway, get out of our neighborhood, and they were just like, we weren't even talking about God yet, we were just inviting you to church, that's it. And people were just getting angry. But we love diversity in our world, right? We love diversity. We love that everybody's different, and we're going to embrace our differences. Unless you love God, then it's different. Right? That's just reality. It's truth. I remember thought, okay, well, we can't really get anywhere in our communities, and we're getting kicked out of everyone's driveways, and we're just, we haven't even talked about the gospel yet. We're just inviting people to church. You know, just trying to say, hey, you know, God can change your life, and boom, get out of here. So we went over to MCC and the University of Rochester. Man, it wasn't about, you know, a millisecond, and all of a sudden they're like, who are you, and what are you doing on our campus? Get out of here. And it's like, oh, we're just inviting people to church. That's it. No, you can't do that here. Really? I thought, this, I thought this was a free world. I mean, if I want to pr- promote a homosexual agenda going on on campus, you have all open doors. Invite someone to church, bless God, you just broke a cardinal rule and you're getting kicked off campus. It's just the reality. It's, it's the world we live in. I remember just sharing the gospel with some people and just saying, well, that's just your, that's just your opinion. This is not anyone's opinion. This is the word of God. And he tells us in Second Peter that it was not formed on anyone's opinions or experiences or biases or experiences or whatever. The message of Jesus has always been divisive. You think that's, that, that's not true? Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36 says, Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Do you realize how divisive the gospel can be? Straight from our text. Look at our text in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 42. It says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Wow, can you imagine that? Somebody wants to go to, a, to the NFL uh, Super Bowl. Wonderful. Can you imagine? I don't, how many people attend one of those? I don't even know. 100,000? 200,000? I don't know. There's, there's a bunch, right? Or call it the World Series, or call it the you know FIFA soccer tournament, you know, and, you know, whatever it is. Can you imagine a stadium full of people cheering on their favorite team in their favorite sport? I say, wonderful, great. I would rather do that with the people people coming from the city to hear the gospel. That's my dream. I would love to be a part of that once. 
I'd love to be part of what Greg Laurie does in California and fills an entire stadium for a revival. I would love to see that kind of coming together. Sports, I mean, can you even who won five years ago in any sport? Who cares? Nobody remembers that stuff. But the gospel will change lives, and we don't give it a second thought sometimes. And unfortunately, even those of us who have been saved for a while, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for a while, the excitement that it, that it gave you when you first did it has worn off. Sadly. Let me go on here. So the whole city came together, verse 44. Verse 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should it be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So the gospel that came, and remember in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, I did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might what? Be saved. He came to present the gospel message so that people would turn their lives to Jesus. And yet, it is so divisive. And yet, he made it so simple that he says, in childlike faith, you can believe. So he says, don't think that I come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. He said, it will be divisive. It will cause division. Because at some point you have to realize that the coming to Christ, it does take courage, it does take boldness, and it does take a commitment to say, I'm going to stand no matter what. You know, when you think about the last several weeks, as we talked about other passages in the book of, Mar- or book of Acts, we saw Peter's first message. And what did it happen, or what happened as Peter preached his very first message? Persecution came. And then Stephen comes along and he preaches his message, and it brings persecution and his stoning, his death. The message of Jesus can cause much division, as some of you can even testify in your own family. Some of you have experienced being rejected by your own family members because you put your faith in Christ. It's unfortunate they miss out on the opportunity and the blessing to know God and the blessings of walking with Jesus. But notice the result of the gospel among the Gentiles. We see it right away in verse 42 and verse 43. And we know that the Gentiles begged for the message to be preached again the following week. You say, well, wait a minute. You heard the gospel message and they're, they're begging. That, that's what God's Word says. Look at verse 42. It says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. I mean, they were ready to hear it again. Why? Because they knew the power of the gospel to change lives. And they were begging for it to be heard again. When's the last time, and realize maybe it's the speaker, but when's the last time we left church begging that we would hear these words again? Why? So that we might invite someone else to come who needs to hear them. And maybe by, you know, Andy Stanley used to say it this way. If you ain't got the guts to share your, share your faith with someone, at least get them here so I can. You know, that's the reality of the world we live in. Get them here so that we can share the gospel. Because we know that the gospel changes lives, right? Amen? You believe that? And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. 
The gospel changes lives. And the Gentiles had a favorable response. And everywhere it seemed like where Paul went, it was not with, without exception. There was favor, but there was also the enemy at work as well. We said anytime God is at work, Satan doesn't want that to go unchallenged, right? So, so Satan is at work. But, but in, in Acts chapter 17 in Berea, verse 10 and 11 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews... These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So what did they do? As Paul went into Berea, he started preaching the Gospel, started teaching the Word of God, and he says that the people accepted it. They were fair-minded. They were at least willing to take the Word of God and after what was said, they would reach it and they, they would read into it and, and study it and say, well, is, this, is what this guy is saying really true? And by the way, you should be doing that too. How many believe that I'm the only one that can preach the word here? I'm not the only one, right? Every one of you just acknowledge that. So 2 Timothy 2.15 is to study thyself, to sh- you know, the word of God to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every one of us has that responsibility. I'm not the only one that can open the word and teach it. I might be the only one that does it for a living, but you guys are well capable of studying and knowing the word of God and applying it. That's exactly what these Bereans were doing. He said, as the preacher spoke, we're going to go home and study it and make sure that what he says is really good and right. You should have that same responsibility and mindset as the Bereans did. But here's the thing. They searched the Scriptures how often? Weekly on Sundays? Because Sundays is God's day? They searched the Scriptures what? Daily. They got into the Word of God daily to apply it to their hearts and their lives. So they, they, they respected it enough to get into it. So that was Paul and Berea. Then when Paul went into Athens, in verse 32, it says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So they, they had an interest in, Hey, is what he's saying really true? We, we need to hear more. How do you respond to the Word of God when you hear it? I know for so many of us, we've been to church for so many years. We come to church and the pastor says, Turn to this. And he's like, Okay, I've heard this before. All right, in 35, 40 minutes, he'll be done. We'll be on our way. Or do we get excited about it? Because it's not my word, right? It's not mine. It's God's. And because it's God's word, we study and we apply and we go away saying, man, I need more of that. And it's exciting to me. It says, we're going to hear this again. Yeah, there will be those that scoff. There will be those that mock. But there are going to be those who say, I need to hear more. And I hope that we're on that side of things. Many of the Jews followed Paul and Barnabas and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. That's what it says there in, I think it was verse 43. It says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In other words, they persuaded It's like, don't give up, don't stop. I know this is not easy, but just keep going keep learning keep digging keep being faithful to the word of god it's the idea that we're not quitting we don't need quitters in the race right we need to stay faithful stay stay true to the word but it was a message not to be ignored there's several verses i think of when i was when i was reading about this in verse 43 several verses came to my mind the first one was in second corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 it says in an acceptable time i've heard you and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. 
He says in some of your translations, it, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that God can help you. Today is a day that God can save you. Do you realize that there's nothing that is, nothing that is so great, so terrible in your life that God can't help you overcome it? There's not one thing in your life that makes you unsavable, quote-unquote, in the eyes of God. Unless you just flat out just reject Him and say, I don't want Him, period. The bottom line is He can help you. He can save you if you are willing. There's not a one of us that is so deep in sin, so done so many terrible things, that you cannot be saved and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's the beauty of for whosoever. Whosoever means you and me. No matter what our past is. No matter what we've done. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial and in the wilderness. So an opportunity is today to respond to the Gospel, to respond to the Word of God and apply it to your heart and your life. Don't put it off. Some people have the idea that I'll, just, I'll get more faithful later. I'll get serious about serving God later. I'll, I'll do what He asked me to do later. Other people can do it now. I mean, God knows I'm working a lot of hours. i got a big family to take care of. i got a lot of responsibilities. I, I, I just don't have time to serve right now. Well, when is that time going to come? I mean, seriously? I mean, I realize I'm not old yet, but I mean, I, I'm not going to work my entire life to where I can't work anymore, and then i got no energy left to give God. Give God the energy while you have it. Give God time while you have it. Because none of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. Someone asked the question years ago, what would you do different if you knew God was going to sound the trumpet and have Jesus come for His own and, you know, tomorrow at 4 o'clock? What would you do different if you knew that tomorrow at 4 o'clock was the end of time? And by the way, no man knows that time because people have tried to set times for decades and centuries and have been wrong. But what would you do different? If you really, truly, honestly had the hope of heaven and you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that when you died you were going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord and Savior and you knew you had family members who did not have that same hope, would you share it? If you had friends who didn't know Jesus, would you finally open your mouth? If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that tomorrow four was the end of time as you know it, and you were going to spend eternity in heaven, what would you do different? Would you repent of the sins that you know you've been hiding? That you can't hide from God, but you hide from everyone else? What would you do different? Because tomorrow may never come. In fact, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast thyself at tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There's not a single person who got in a car accident that ended their life who said, Wow, I think today's a great day to get in a car accident and die. Nobody plans for those things. But things happen every day that we don't plan for. People die every day in accidents that they didn't plan to get into. People are killed in robberies every day that they did not plan to be a part of. And yet we live as though we're never going to die. And we beg God never to let us die when we're on our deathbed. Do you realize the hope that we have in Jesus? That this life, no matter how long it is, is just temporary? God's Word tells us that our citizenship, our true home, our true living is where? In heaven, if we know Jesus. That's where we ought to be laying up treasures for. Not for this world. Not for this life. 
That's why Paul and Barnabas, everywhere they went, they tried to persuade men to turn their lives to Christ, not to reject Him. Though we know that if you give your life to Christ, there may be some division. There may be people who don't understand. There may be people who say, well, I don't agree with you. That's okay. I like what Johnny Hunt says. You have the right to be wrong. It's okay. (laughs) We have a freedom to choose. But choose wisely. Because we don't have the guarantee of tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring forth. But we notice the result of the Gospel among the Jewish people in verse 45. In verse 45 it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, and they opposed the things that were spoken by Paul. So you got the Gentiles who were excited and said, we, need to, we can't wait till next Sabbath day. We're going to come back in a week and we want to hear this message again. We're excited. We've got to dig into it. We've got to learn more about it. And the Jews, they're ticked off. Why are they ticked off? Well, they got big crowds and we don't. They're gathering a lot of people. We're not. So what's it say in verse 45? They were filled with envy. In other words, they were jealous. They were absolutely jealous and they were angry and they were hot over this idea that the Gentiles were coming to know Jesus. I mean, after all, the, the religion is a Jewish religion, right? I mean, Christianity is a Jewish... No, no that, that's the problem. It's religion, not relationship. They're all about following the rules rather than developing a relationship with Jesus. So they were angry. They were filled with jealousy and envy. And not only that, they, they tried to contradict and blaspheme Paul's preaching. They say, well, Paul's up here preaching this, but that, that, that's wrong. Don't believe him. Don't listen to him. They were, they were just jealous. See, the synagogues were filled when Paul and Barnabas came to town, right? But the reality is the Jews didn't like it because they were jealous. They were following the preaching and the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. And they actually, according to verse 45... They opposed the things spoken by Paul. They were against them. And they did everything they could to contradict what Paul was saying. Question, is that any different than today? Really? We say one thing. Folks, that's why I love fill the field. I love it. I can argue doctrine until I'm blue in the face. I can argue religions until we're blue in the face. I can argue theology till we're, till we're sick, to our, sick to death to our stomachs over it. But I can't argue your story and what God has done for you. It's your story. It's what God has done in your life. It's the change that He brought to your life because you put your faith and trust in Him. I can't argue that. And it's almost undebatable amongst those who may have known you before that. I don't argue stories because it's yours. It's mine. Argue religion. Well, you're Baptist. Well, I'm Catholic. Or I'm Lutheran. I'm Church of God. I'm Church of Christ. I'm Methodist. Argue until you're blue in the face. None of that matters. God hates religion, by the way. He wants a relationship with you. But I can't argue my story. It's what God did for me. See, the Jews wanted to argue religion. They wanted to argue the law. They want to argue all the rules and regulations that they wanted everyone to follow. But then you got these dirty, nasty Gentiles who are coming to Jesus. I love it. Because Jesus took them where they were. And He'll take you where you are. He didn't say, follow all the rules, get your whole life cleaned up, then you can come to Me. If that's the case, none of us are here. 
Because there's not a one of us in this room that can keep all the rules and regulations. My goodness, just try marriage. I have failed so many times. Wow, if it's about keeping the rules, none of us would be here, right? So the result of the gospel among the Jews is that they were angry. Notice what the Jewish rejection accomplished, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. What did, the, what did this rejection of the Jews accomplish? Several things. Number one, it gave Paul and Barnabas even more boldness. Why? Because they had to stand up. Everything they said was being scrutinized. Someone said, man, wouldn't you love to have a large church like MacArthur? No, <laughs> nope, not even for a minute. You know, these guys that have churches of seven, eight, ten thousand people, don't you know that every word that comes out of their mouth is being judged by somebody? Nope, they can have it. I'm a nobody, nobody knows of me, I like it like that. Don't you know that everything that came out of Paul's mouth was being scrutinized and judged and being criticized and blasphemed and rejected? by the religious crowd. It's almost like he couldn't get ahead amongst the religious. But for Paul and Barnabas, it gave them boldness to keep going, to stand firm on what they believed and what they were teaching. They grew bold. But not only that, it says it was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, read between the lines here just a little bit. It's kind of obvious. He says, it was necessary to be spoken to you. Why? Because as you hear the truth, you got this fake piousness that comes up, this fake pride. You're almost like you're so humble. Oh, that's not for us. I'm not worthy of this. You know, God's not going to do this for me. It's, it's a fake humility that they were displaying it wasn't real it is nothing he says but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy it's the whole idea that there is fake humility god knew it now question is there anything so bad that god couldn't save them no were they really unworthy of everlasting life no but is there a fake humility and their pride that they were rejecting Paul's message. He goes, and since you don't want it, and since you're not going to respect it, since you're not going to submit to it, we'll go to the Gentiles. They're not so great that they won't accept Jesus. We'll go to them. So it was necessary because it showed us who was really ready to receive the gospel, and you guys aren't. But think about this in verse 48 as well. He says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. So because you rejected it, we're glad that the Gentiles received it. And it brings joy. And remember what God's word says? There is joy in heaven over what? One that comes to repentance. He says, if you're not going to accept it, we'll give it to those who will. And that brings joy. It gladdens our heart to know that some will receive it. Now just for a moment, we have skipped verse 47. We went from verse 46 to verse 48. Look at verse 47. It says, For, the so, for so the Lord has commanded us, 
I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. He says, since you have rejected me, I will bring the message to those who will not reject me. Now here's a question. Will everybody you share the gospel with, will everybody that you invite to church, will everybody that you invite to know the truth accept it? No. But that's not our job to control who does. Right? God doesn't say you have to control the outcome. No, he says you can't control the outcome. Our job is to be faithful and obedient in sharing the message. Let God save who he's going to save. I don't know who God's going to save. I don't know who's going to surrender to him. I don't know that. But I know this, is that if I'm called to be faithful and obedient to the word, God will take care of the rest. And we have an opportunity. Um, just for a moment, I want to go, go to the book of John just for a moment. So if you would turn your Bibles back to John chapter 3. And look at verse 18. John three eighteen. Now, I shared with you verse 16 and 17. But verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The bottom line is, would God send someone to hell? Listen, you're already on your way to hell. You're already on your way unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's where it's at. He says... He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. You know, some of you may have seen that reel on Facebook about the the young man who says, well, why would God allow a man to go to hell? He goes, wait a minute, you're already on your way there. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He goes, you're already on your way. God is offering you a lifeboat to save you. And if you reject that lifeboat, well, you're still going where you were going. But I'm giving you an opportunity to change course. God loves us enough to be persistent in offering us. It says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, bottom line is, you open the door, he says, I will step in. That's the whosoever. Isn't that the beauty of it all? In John chapter 5, verse 40, he says this. It's over a couple pages. Verse 40 says, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He He goes, wait a minute, you know the truth, and yet you are still rejecting me. That's what the Jews were doing. They knew the truth, but they were rejecting. And John says, you know, but you don't want, apparently you don't want to change. In John chapter 8, verse 24. I've got to find my numbers. Here goes. Therefore I said to you that you, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. It comes down to what? Belief. Do you believe? You know, the reality of the Jews is not that they didn't have the truth. They had the truth presented to them. But many of them chose not to believe. They chose to put their trust in their own works, in following the law and all the guidelines and keeping all the rules. And by the way, this is a club that if you don't keep all the rules and regulations, you can't be a part of. And where did it get them? Nowhere. You see, it comes back to what God's Word says is the Gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't keep the rules. You can't be kind enough and help enough people. You can't. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I can do what I can do to earn merit to enter into heaven, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. But God's Word says that it doesn't work. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. The bottom line is, here's the question that we all have to answer. How will you respond to the Gospel? We know how the Jews responded, and we know how the Gentiles responded. And it's a great lesson from history to learn from. We know that as the Jews rejected it, it caused, caused persecution and it caused the boldness to grow and go forth. It caused the Gentiles to come to know Jesus, and he says they were willing to accept him, so we, 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 we speak the truth to them. But the question today for us is when we learn from them is what about you? How will you respond to the gospel? You say, well, I've already responded to the gospel. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Wonderful. You still have the excitement of it? Still searching the scriptures daily? Still applying the word to your life so that you can grow? Or has it just become ho-hum? Eh, it is what it is. I'm saved. Praise God, I'm excited about it. Or are you truly wanting to grow and know and to follow? See, how are you going to respond to it? Jews got angry because, well, they're not following the rules and regulations. I'm so glad that we don't have rules. <laughs> I've said many times, I should have got a rule book when I got married. I should have gotten that one, but I didn't get it. It'd probably be too thick for me to, to carry around with me, but it, it, it'd it be helpful if I had that rule book. Any guys agree? We missed out on that one. But here's what I found out. Even in my marriage, it's not about the rules. See, I've now been married for 29 years. I've known her for a few years longer. I found out in 29 years, I know which buttons to push that will tick her off. Any other guys know those buttons? Man, they bright light in the dark, right? It's the easy button. I know which ones will irritate her. But I've also learned in 29 plus years that there are certain things I do that please her. And there's no rule saying I have to do one and can't do the other. It's a choice. And I, if I want peace and joy and mutual love and satisfaction, I do what pleases, not what irritates. It's my choice. It's no different with God. I've learned in 29 years, yeah, there, my whole lifetime knowing him, is that, yeah, I could look at this as rules, but God didn't create robots. You can say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, till the cassette runs over and flip it over and hit play again. I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. He didn't create robots. He gave us a will. And we can choose to love him every day and to show our love with our, Mark, what was Mark tell us? If you love me, you will keep my commands and my commands are not grievous. He says, if you love me, you'll do this. It's not hard work. It's just, it's a matter of the heart. If you love, you will do. If you don't love, well, that says something too. How do you, or how will you respond to the gospel? You see, you can either reject it as the Jews did and say, well, you're not doing it right, or I don't agree with you, or I don't believe what you say, or you can respond as the Gentiles did and say, I want to hear more of this. I need this. This will change my life. And the choice is yours. It comes down to simple faith. He says, if you don't accept, you will die in your sins. 
and every choice has consequences. So I challenge you that are here this morning, if you know Jesus, wonderful. Live for Him. Be like the Bereans who will search the Scriptures daily to see if what's said is so. I challenge you to get in the Word and to know it and to apply it to your life. But if you don't, don't be like the Jews and reject it because, well, that consequence is great as well. Because he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So we have to know Jesus if we're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's not about a religion. It's not about joining a church. Unfortunately, when we hold outreach events, sometimes people will put their faith and trust in Christ and they never see him again. I, I, I grieve over that because they don't have the opportunity to point them to the Word and, and to help them grow in their faith. But I'm thankful for the fact that they had an opportunity to hear and respond. So it's not an idea of oh, if I put my faith in Christ, I have to join the church. No, it's not that, though I wish you would. The reality is it's more important to know Jesus and to know Him as your Savior, to not reject Him. Don't be like the Jews and say, well, it's, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I get mad over that or that disappoints me or that frustrates me. It, that has its own set of consequences. But putting your faith and trust in Jesus, you'll never regret, ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are a great God who loves us, cares for us, who sent us on to die on the cross for us. Thank you for the example of the Jews and the Gentiles because we can learn from them both. But I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And, Lord, I pray if there be one here today, Lord, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6-2, Lord, that today would be a day of salvation for them, that today they would put their faith and trust in you. And, Lord, I just pray as we're sitting here this morning, Lord, that we would just take an opportunity to be honest with ourselves. Lord, if we truly know you, that's wonderful. But if we don't, Lord, might today be a day of salvation for them. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment that no one be looking around. We just Every week we just take a, just a moment to respond to what we've heard. Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, Pastor, I know the Lord. I, I've, I've put my faith and trust in him, and that's wonderful. I'm so excited for you. But maybe you're here this morning and say, well, Pastor, I've never done that before. What does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to put my faith and trust in him? God's word says it's very simple. Simple as ABC. A, admit that we're a sinner. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a simple acknowledgement that, hey, I am a sinner. I am. Everyone in here is. All have sinned. Be, believe. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, For with the heart one believes, but with a mouth confession is made. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as he says he did in John three sixteen and Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrated his love in this way, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin? And then let us see. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins. And C, confess your sins and call on him to be your Savior. You say, well, I've never done that before, Pastor. Could I encourage you to simply pray that simple prayer right there where you're sitting? Right there in your seat? My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you say, well, I want to pray, but I'm just not sure what to say. I can lead you in that prayer. You can simply repeat after me. Dear Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you paid the price. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith and my trust in you alone. 
and help me to live a life that is pleasing to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just simply you say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer for the first time this morning. I'll not embarrass you and I'll call you up. It's just, would you just look at me so I can pray for you? Anyone like that? Just catch my eye. Maybe this morning you prayed that prayer for the first time. Just simply look up to me. For those of you that say, well, I've already prayed that prayer. Are you still excited? Are you still searching the scriptures? Are you still on excitement mode for what God is teaching you and what you're learning through this word? If not, you need to pray this morning and say, God, bring back that excitement. Bring back the the joy of walking with you and fellowshipping with you this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for each one that's here today. We ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, be it those who may have prayed that prayer and didn't acknowledge it or did, Lord. I pray that for those who have already prayed that prayer and, Lord, are struggling in their walk with you, Lord. I pray that today would be a day of salvation for for anyone who needs it, Lord, and for rejuvenation for those who just need to come back to the joy of walking with you, Lord. I pray that you would work in hearts, Lord, to draw people to yourself and to make us more like your son, Jesus. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.